0: Uh, How many of you made it to the, uh, the like harvest party that we had here last night? Man, that thing was amazing. It was so much fun. There was so much candy. Oh, so much food. It was, yeah, it was good. I I really want to thank Tori, our children's ministry director. She put in a ton of hours. She was working, she's been working for months, but yeah. No, for sure. A lot of hours on Friday and all day Saturday. And so, good job, Tori. That was fun. That was a fun party. I love it. Uh, open up in your Bible to First Peter. We're in chapter 2 this morning. Oh, I, I love baptisms they're they're super fun. Uh there's just something that's encouraging, uh something that's just hope-filled and joyful about baptisms right? I mean it's just fun uh to to watch, fun to be a witness. Uh it's especially true w- when it's a, a kid getting baptized. Uh because uh, as a, as a young person they, these are people that they've made a decision to follow Jesus. And they want other people to know about it. And they're not afraid to get up in kind of a scary situation and like share it with the world. And that's just, that's a cool thing. Baptism is all about our identity, right? Just, just like I said a, a moment ago, it's, it's not like some magical ceremonial bath that gets us all cleaned up. No, we're, we're cleaned. We're cleansed through faith in Jesus. So again, baptism is more about showing people how we're cleansed. Again, it's through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what saved us. That, that's who we're identifying with. It's Jesus' holiness that we're claiming for ourselves. It's His holiness that we want God to see when God looks down on us. And so, this is a way of, of outwardly communicating this inward change that's taken place in our lives. And I think it's important. I think it's important for us to take that kind of step of identifying with Jesus through baptism, again, because it's it's a step of obedience, but it's also just encouraging for all of us who've maybe been Christians for a long time, and it's been a long time since we were baptized, to, to be reminded of our identification with Jesus Christ too. I I think I think that reminder of our connection with Christ is one of Peter's main reasons for writing this letter. He wants to remind people who are believers, who've placed their faith in Jesus, to to never forget exactly who they are in him and what and what that means. He wants us to, to never forget who we are and who we belong to and where we're headed. And so he talks about those things a lot all throughout this book, and we'll see that here. It, so many people uh, spend so much of their lives trying to uh, f- like find themselves, you know, trying to figure out who, who they want to be and what they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to live. And for us, as, as believers in Jesus, our identity, is directly tied to who he is. And and so who we are and what we do is connected to who Jesus is and what he's done. Here in Peter he tells us that that God chose us. And because of that we are chosen ones. That Jesus is the living stone and in him we are also living stones. Peter tells us that we are holy because he's holy. Now follow along as I read 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4, as he explains more of who we are. He says, and, and coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Man, again, talk about like encouraging and uplifting to read those words from Peter. Again, he wants us to clearly understand who we are and who we belong to because of Jesus. The, the foundation of our identity—it all starts with Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. In verse six, uh, Peter quotes from Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen, where God promises to establish a cornerstone. But but for what? A cornerstone f- for what? What exactly is it? Like is it is it a cornerstone for the temple building? No, I don't, I don't think so. I think it's something greater than that. When, when they built the temple, the cornerstone was the stone that was put in place that had to be perfect because really it set the horizontal and, and the vertical lines for the rest of the building. And if that stone wasn't perfect, if it was off, then pretty soon the rest of the building would end up crooked. Jesus as the cornerstone is flawless, sinless, perfect. Is is this cornerstone talking about Israel? I don't think so. I think it's talking about something more than that. Just like God promised Abraham that all the nations of the earth would one day be blessed through him. There was something that God was building that would be for everyone, not just Israel. Israel. So then what what is Jesus the cornerstone of well, I think I think maybe this passage over in Ephesians chapter 2 uh, helps us understand it better. It comes at the end. You know the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2 is all about how we we used to be in darkness but we are saved because of God's grace, not because of works. We don't get to boast about it, but it's all because of what God has done. And at the end of chapter 2, Paul says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of, of the church, of the household of God, of the family of God. Because, because it, was, it was through His sacrifice that He purchased us. Because He's the only flawless, perfect, sinless sacrifice. Peter describes Jesus as uh, as this choice and precious cornerstone, absolutely one of a kind. So this is the imagery that that Peter gives us. So we understand that we, as the church, are this this house that's being built with Jesus as that that key piece. And and the imagery of of a household is a common one in Scripture. Again, Jesus is, is that cornerstone that sets these perfect lines. And the apostles and the prophets, like it said, did the work of laying the foundation through the spreading of the Gospel and the writing of the Word of God. And then the rest of us as believers, all believers throughout all of history in all places are a part of this spiritual building that is the church. The problem that Peter mentions here though is that this cornerstone, this perfect, ideal, beautiful cornerstone was also a stumbling stone to many. Verse 7, this precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. For they stumble because they're disobedient to the word. And to this doom, they were also appointed. verse seven there, he's quoting from Psalm 118. And it's, uh, in its original context, uh, it's all about the Davidic kingdom and how, uh, other countries that rejected the God ordained Davidic kingdom would be, uh, would be in trouble, would be punished. But Jesus uses that exact same verse and applies it to himself. Over in Matthew 21, Jesus tells this parable of a, of a landowner who plants a vineyard and then he hires some tenants to come and live on the land. And when it's time for the harvest to be collected, he sends some servants to go collect the grapes. And when the servants, the servants get there, the, the tenants who are living on the land—they don't want to give it up, so they kill those servants. So the landowner sends more servants to try and collect what's his, and they're beaten and killed as well. So the landowner says, "I, I know what I'll do. I'll send my son. They'll treat my son with respect." And those those evil tenants don't. They say, "Let's—we'll take his inheritance." And they beat him, and they throw him out of the vineyard, and they kill him. Jesus tells this parable to the Pharisees, and then he asks the Pharisees, what do you think the landowner is going to do when he comes back? The Pharisees are outraged, and they say, that that landowner, he's going to bring those wretched people to a wretched end. Right? (laughs) Jesus says to them, have you ever heard Have you ever heard this verse? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. The kingdom of God is going to be taken away from you and given to people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. And then at that point, the Pharisees knew that Jesus was talking about them, that they were the wretches that had rejected the son. This passage that used to be all about the destruction of, of foreign kingdoms at the hand of Israel. Now Jesus is using it to call out their destruction for rejecting God's chosen savior. To them, Jesus had become a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And why? That's the question that I just, why couldn't they see that Jesus was their Messiah, their promised Savior? How could they miss the fact that that He was God incarnate, even with all the miracles that He performed? Even though He spoke with them with, uh, to them with such like authority and power, how, how did they miss it? How could they reject Him? And I think it's because they were just expecting something totally different. They were expecting a a Messiah that would be like a little bit taller and a little better looking and and a lot more politically minded. They they weren't expecting Jesus. Man, they, they were just so wrapped up in the political world around them and the things that they were suffering right then at that moment. That what they wanted more than anything was somebody to save them from that. Not seeing that God wanted to save them from something way bigger than just a government. Oh man, can you imagine? Can you imagine being so wrapped up into politics that you fail to see God right there in front of you? Oh, I'm glad that doesn't happen today, right? (laughs) And... They had their own agenda, their own expectations. Their eyes were on their own problems and not on God's word. And that's, that's ultimately the reason why they stumble over Jesus because they'd traded the word of God for something else. Peter tells us they stumble because they're disobedient to the word. And to this doom, they were also appointed. And people stumble over and reject Jesus today for the same reasons. There's this rejection of the Word of God and what it says and a preference for the things of this world. A blindness to the work of God even though He's made Himself plain to see. And people can't believe in Jesus because of what they would have to sacrifice if they did. And so they just toss him aside. Peter says that those who reject Jesus as the chief cornerstone are appointed to doom. But that's, that's not us. That's not who we are. That's not our fate. Because we have come to him as the living stone, precious and chosen in the sight of God. And because of that, we too are living stones. Look at verse four and five again. Coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Man, that is amazing. We are living stones. We are identified with Jesus Christ in that exact same way. We are a part of the spiritual household that God is building. And, and because of that, Peter identifies us in these just phenomenal ways, in ways that I don't think his readers would have understood themselves to be. We are a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. And we don't we don't offer up like actual physical animal sacrifices anymore, which is really good. I'm glad that that's not a thing anymore. That's done. Jesus died once and for all. And the blood of bulls and goats was never really sufficient to fully cover cover over our sins anyway. But Jesus' blood is enough. No, I think the kinds of sacrifices that Peter's talking about here it's more like what Paul mentions over in Romans 12.1, where he says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So obedience and faithfulness to God is our spiritual sacrifice to Him. Spiritual sacrifices are a life uh, that's lived that's just full of grace and love and humility that we live through the power of the Holy Spirit because we've been redeemed by Jesus. Again, just, just like Peter was talking about uh, right above that in the passage we looked at last week, because of what God has done in us, we have the ability to fervently love one another from the heart. Offering up spiritual sacrifices also means that we help b- bring people to Jesus. We help people see Jesus and know about Jesus and understand who Jesus is and what He's done. I mean, that's a big part of what the Old Testament prophets did, is to try and be this, this a go-between between the people and, and God. Mediators. Helped people connect with God. Now, even though we know that access to God is totally open and free, still, there's a responsibility that we have to help people understand better who Jesus is. Peter elaborates this. He fleshes this out in a lot more detail down in verse 9, right? You're a chosen race. A royal priesthood. Holy nation a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. All of these different uh, uh, terms that Peter uses to describe who we are in Christ are things that used to refer to to uh, Israel, to, to the Jewish people, and, and even there, only certain parts of that uh, Jewish race. Here, he says we are a chosen race not because we were born children of Abraham, but because we are adopted children of God. We are a royal priesthood. Not, not because we're in the line of Levi, But because we now, all of us, have the ability to boldly go before the throne of grace. All of us now have this, this ability to enter into the Holy of Holies. That curtain that separated the Holy of Holies was torn into, and relationship with God is restored. He says we are a holy nation. We are set apart. Set apart for God's purposes and for His glory. We're holy because He's holy. We're a people for God's own possession. Again, Paul over in Ephesians says, In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed... You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. We we heard the gospel message, we believed it. We were sealed with the Holy Spirit of God, who he put in us, that guarantees our redemption. That's, that's a down payment saying that we are His. We belong to God. We are God's own possession. And that word for possession here is, carries with it the connotation of something that has been purchased. We're purchased for God by the blood of Christ. And in all of this for what purpose? Why has God given us so much? blessed us so richly and set us apart. Well, Peter tells us, so that we may proclaim the excellencies, the awesomeness of this wonderful God who pulled us out of darkness into light so that we could let others know how great He is. Peter wants us to never forget who we are who we belong to, where we're headed, so that we can go and tell everybody that we know about this gracious and loving and merciful God. So that we can help people who are still living in the darkness like we once were, know that there is light. So that we can go out and tell people, you know what, I, I used to not be anyone or anything, but now I am part of the people of God I used to be deserving of death, but now I have received mercy. Peter's writing this to people who live in in a harsh and unfair and unkind world who are uh, looking down on and mistreating and mocking and abusing Christians because of of their faith in Jesus. And and they're starting to wonder if it's worth it. Is it it worth it to be a follower of Jesus if I'm going to face this kind of abuse? Why is God letting this happen to me? Is God even still there? Peter reminds them that Jesus Himself, the chosen living stone, was rejected and cast aside. Don't don't be freaked out when you are too because you are identified with Him. It doesn't change who you are. It doesn't change your identity one little bit. Again, I think Peter spends so much time on the front end of this letter reminding us of who we are and who we belong to and where we're headed uh, to to encourage us about how we're supposed to live. Don't forget, you are living stones who make up a spiritual house. Therefore, go out there and offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. You are a chosen holy people who belong to God go out there and proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light God enable us to do that very thing to never forget who we are what you've done for us God give us opportunities even this week as we go out of this building to proclaim how excellent, how awesome, how wonderful You are. To share with others this grace and mercy that we've received. Just like Hannah today uh, shared with everybody that she's a believer in You and showed how she was saved through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. Give us opportunities to share with our words and with our actions to others who Jesus is and what He's done. Thank you, God, for making us something different, for making us who we are, for choosing us and for showering us with mercy that we did not deserve. God, may we glorify you with everything that we say and do. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.